0: My name is Stephanie Hoffman. I'm here with Jared Sleets. We're here at Rocco Winery. It is July 16th, 2018. And our first question is why wine?
1: Why wine? Why not wine? Uh, Wine's amazing. It's a fun industry to work in. It's a delicious product. And yeah, I love it. So that's why wine.
0: How did you first get introduced into wine?
1: Uh, So I got introduced into wine um, via food. Um, 2008. I was working at New Seasons Market. Also, I was doing my own um, catering thing, and I met the winemaker for Canis Feast, and he invited me to work uh, the vintage for him in 2018. I fell in love, and that's how it all began.
0: Was there a wine that really made you want to get into wine? Was there a wine that you really remember from that very beginning spot of getting into the industry?
1: Wow, um, I think. It all kind of hit me like a freight train. Um, at first there was like no wine, and then there was, I was surrounded by all this amazing wine. So I don't know if there was anything in particular, but just the fact that I, it was really opening my eyes to this world of wine in the Willamette Valley. And there was so much amazing wine that I felt the need to get involved.
0: Yeah. What was your first impressions of the industry um, whenever you were first getting into it?
1: Uh, first impressions of the industry? Um, well, I guess my intro would be the vintage that I worked in 2008. I uh, met an amazing guy from Australia, two other local guys that worked with me at Canis Feast. Um, so everyone that I met was just really outgoing, fun to be around and the energy of the industry seemed to be amazing. So.
0: So after that first vintage, can you take us through what you did after that, what were your next steps?
1: For sure, so yeah, 2008 was the first vintage, Um, then that's when I decided that's what I wanted to do. Um, I did move to California for two years um, with a friend just to get a change and kind of see what the Bay Area was like, and also to have the opportunity to check out some California regions. Moved back here 2010, applied for school at Oregon State University. Uh, went there, graduated 2013. Uh, then I worked uh, vintage at Archery Summit. Um, after six to seven months there, then I went to Argyle and I was there until I was here.
0: Cool. So going back a little bit to your formal education, why was it important for you to go to school to learn how to actually make wine instead of just kind of joining the industry and learning on the job?
1: For sure. Well, I kind of set a goal for myself to to get my bachelor's degree. And before that, I just had my associates. Um, So once I realized what I wanted to do in my life, I thought it was fitting that I go back and actually make the goal that I set for myself of getting my bachelor's.
0: Yeah. What um, while you're there, what did you learn that like has really impacted your time in the industry? Now, like, what were some like standout lessons or like things that really stuck with you?
1: Uh, For me, I would say um, industry connections. That's one thing that I worked really hard on while I was at Oregon State, and the things that I think have benefited me the most um, prior to my education there. It's uh, meeting the right people and knowing the right people and fostering those relationships tend to get you where you need to go a little faster, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Can you talk about um, your time interning at Archery Summit a little bit?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, So that was a really good deal for me because I did like a split internship. I started off in the vineyard as a vit tech, um, worked there through the summer, and then at Harvest moved into the cellar and was kind of a lab technician. Uh, So it's really good to see both sides of it, you know, um, from bud break to to bottle in essence, you know. Um, It was a really great experience.
0: Can you tell us any like fun stories or like things that because it's kind of different, going from even though you already did a harvest, going from learning stuff in school to actually having being an intern. Is there any like fun stories or things that really stood out to you during that time?
1: Um, fun stories: I'm sure there are, but they, I feel like they're all getting like blended together, so I'm having trouble like picking out a particular yeah. fun story. Um, Yeah, the crew at uh, Archery Summit was a super fun crew, and they have, you know, the guest house there that the interns stay at. So um, we would have like once a week, like giant barbecues and everybody would bring wine and we would do kind of like uh, blind tastings and choose like regions. So I got to experience a lot of new wine from regions that I really haven't experienced wine from before. So that was really nice. And um, yeah, just meeting all the cool people.
0: Yeah. So yeah. after your internship at Archery Summit, you went over to Argyle. Yeah. Why did you decide to go there?
1: Uh, sparkling wine. Uh, it's something that I've been interested in uh, since I kind of joined the industry. Um, and I knew that um, Rollin and Argyle was a really good place to start learning that. So,
0: And um, what position were you um, while you were there?
1: Um, uh, started off as just a seller intern, and or not intern, but... Uh, seller hand, I guess, um, and then moved up to seller lead before before I left.
0: During your time at Argyle, mm-hmm. um, in those positions, what were some of the things that you learned that you found really important and have really helped you while here at Rocco?
1: Um, time management is a big thing. Um, working with a larger crew and having a larger production, there's just always something going on, so you kind of always have to have the calendar in the back of your mind of what's coming up. Um, what you're doing now and then how to like transition those things together so time management was a big thing that really I learned at Argyle that helped me here.
0: Um, What's your favorite part of I guess the wine cycle as it were so like from um, very winter pruning all of that all the way through harvest what is the part that you really love doing?
1: Harvest like when the fruit starts rolling in, the energy of the crew is just phenomenal. It's very high paced, very active. I really love that time of year, obviously because we get interns in from all over the world. So, you know, Newberg and Dundee, it's just popping with activity and new faces and new energy. And that's when you kind of get the first insight into what the vintage is going to be, you know. It's like you're tasting the fruit as it comes in, then you're having an idea of like how the fermentation is going to go and how that's going to play out with the wine in the future. So that's for me the most exciting time.
0: Definitely. Was there a harvest that really stood out to you during your time at Argyle? Or any like memories that really stood out to you then?
1: I would say my first harvest at Argyle was the one that stood out to me, mostly because we were in transition from moving from the old facility, production facility, to the new production facility. So not only did you have the challenges that you would normally face during uh, a vintage, but at one point we didn't have running warm water, half of the facility wasn't even completed, you know, so we could only occupy part of the facility at a time, and then we would have to like move, you know around as the construction was developing and finishing so yeah not only did we have the regular like things that we had to deal with for the vintage but we were working in a space that wasn't quite ready to be worked in so it added a whole new level of you know complications and and things to deal with
0: yeah um so after your time at argyle you came over here to rocco um, as the assistant winemaker what made you want to transition over to a new position and a new winery
1: well, um, sparkling wine again and kind of just, you know, moving up the ranks and taking on more responsibility and having my hands in more of the process uh, seemed really appealing to me and the opportunity to get to work with Roland one-on-one. Uh, at Argyle, he was more of like in a consulting role, so I would see him from time to time, but now I get to like work with him on a daily basis, and I thought that would be an amazing step for me, so I was very eager to do it.
0: What has it been like working with Roland on a more daily basis now?
1: Um, amazing. Uh, he has a great personality, I think we get along very, very well, um, great working relationship, and he's just like a wealth of knowledge. And now that I'm around him all the time, I feel like I'm getting more and more of that knowledge. So it's been, been really great.
0: What's one of the standout things you've learned um, about winemaking from him during this one year of being here now? <sighs>
1: Attention to detail. I feel like um, in a lot of my other places, I was very detailed in my work, um, but he is always encouraging me to be more and more and more detailed. And that I think has been very, very beneficial to me. and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: So you just talked about your interest in sparkling wine. Um, what interests you so much about that particular type of wine? And what are some of the challenges of making sparkling wine?
1: True. Oh, wow a really great question. So some of the challenges I think in making sparkling wine is um, patience and I think a lot of people want to make sparkling wine but they don't really know like how long that's going to take and the steps that it's um, that are involved with that. And working with Rollin and also with uh, Andrew I have learned a lot of that and like the patience of making sparkling wine. It's not just something that you can pump out really quick you know you have to sit on it for a while and have that time invested in it.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about that process of making sparkling wine because I do feel like many people don't know how long it does take.
1: Yeah yeah yeah. so like most wine you have the primary fermentation that happens um, but then you have a secondary fermentation that happens in bottle. Um, Wine sits on on the yeast in for X number of years, um, typically the longer the better, and then after that, then you have to Um and that's when you would add the dosage or no dosage, depending on the style of wine that you're trying to make, um, and then it will be corked and ready for the public. You know, but that's typically a three to four year window.
0: What is it like in an industry where you? touch a vintage so you've touched the 2017 vintage but you're not going to see the results of that in a year if it's rosé but then if it's white wines or red wines it's just and then sparkling it can be up to three years even more was it like being in that kind of industry making that kind of product
1: I really like it because for me it's like you kind of sit sit it on the back burner for a little while and then when it comes back to you you get excited all over again so it's like now I'm starting to taste through some of the like, 13s and 14s that I made, either at Archery Summit or at Argyle. And it's, yeah, it's just being excited all over again, you know, because you kind of stop thinking about it for a little while. So you can focus on, you know, the current vintage and stuff and then when they get released, you're like, oh yeah, 13, like I remember about this year, like I remember when the rains came and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, so it's really cool to be able to, to relive that. And recently um, with the Rosé release here at Rocco, that was kind of one of the first wines that I got to make with Rollin and do the blending and now it's like released. And so that's more of an immediate, you know, satisfaction, which is also really cool to see.
0: Was there a moment that you felt really sure about your winemaking abilities or your winemaking skills or your palate? Was there like a moment where you are like, I got this, I can make wine?
1: For sure. I think a lot of that has come within the past year to where I've actually been in a position where I have a seat at the table for those blendings and things like that. And um, like kind of working with Rollin and we'll go like A, B, and C and then we end up choosing the same one, you know, and then we have our reasons why. And like when those things kind of line up, I'm just like, oh, yeah, well, I got it. So, yeah.
0: And so you also have your own label. Yeah, Can you talk a little bit about that? well, I wouldn't say
1: that I have my own label per se, but I have made some wines um, in collaborations with other winemakers. That's outside of my work career. Can you talk about that? For sure, for sure. So I did a Rosé in 2015 and a Pinot Noir in 2015 uh, as a collaboration for the Red, White and Black documentary that I'm in uh, with Bertone Faustin from Abbey Creek. Um, It was a really great experience. Uh, He grew the grapes, I made the wine, I made the wine in his facility um, in North Plains, both of which was very limited production. We just did like one to two barrels for each. Uh, It was a really great experience getting to, to call all the shots and yeah, kind of be the boss on that one and also just to collaborate with him. Bertone is a really great man and a great friend and it was a great opportunity for us to kind of work together on that and also promote the documentary.
0: Yeah. Why did you choose the name?
1: Um, Sleet Town because mm-hmm. uh, it's my last name and it kind of throws homage to where I grew up in central Kentucky. Um, my families, after the Civil War uh, started a small community called Sleet Town and it was there for about a hundred years, uh, a self-sustained small town, stores, markets, farms and all that. Um, it was recently just purchased by the state of Kentucky as a state historic site so I thought it would be a great idea to throw homage to that with my first wine.
0: That's awesome. And what has been the response to that wine from people? Because people can now drink it. What has been the yeah, response? Yeah, for
1: sure. Uh, it's been a good response. It's pretty much sold out, so that's a good sign. Um, <laughs> but everyone has loved it. Of course, my family back in Kentucky, I sent them a bunch, and they're like through the moon on it. So it's, everyone's really liked it, yeah.
0: And then you mentioned the documentary Red, White, and Black. Um, how did you first become aware of the project?
1: Well, I was kind of there from the beginning when I first met Bertoni, and I think it was 2014 into 2015 I was kind of talking to him about when I was at Oregon State I was really looking for like resources and avenues to find other people of color within the wine industry and I really had a hard time finding it and at that time he had the idea of doing this documentary and I had just met Jerry and then it just kind of started happening, you know? And before I knew it, we were sitting down for interviews and taping and the whole thing was was a go.
0: Can you talk about the process of being in a documentary? What was it like doing all those different interviews and getting like camera people following you around Argyle?
1: Right, uh, it was fun, a little nerve wracking. Uh, I always get nervous in front of a camera, so that's been something that i 've been working on in the past few years and I can tell that i 've gotten better from the beginning of you know the interviews with the documentary to to now mm-hmm. um, but it's been really great actually um, i've gotten to meet so many different people, a lot of the camera crew and stuff like that kind of volunteered their time, so we would have like a different camera person for different shoots and I just got to meet so many people in the industry that uh, were very happy about the project that we were doing, so yeah that's
0: awesome and then um how is it how has the reception been from the documentary have you noticed like anyone has talked to you about it have you noticed um just like what's the general reception been
1: yeah for sure i mean i'm even having people down here in newburgh come up to me and they're like oh you're the guy in the documentary and i'm like I didn't know that you saw it that's awesome you know but the feedback has been really good everyone that has come to see it typically sticks around for the Q&A panel at the end so I get to answer a lot of questions and meet a lot of people but the feedback has been really really great and everyone's excited that like we took on this project and thinks that it is something that the industry could benefit from so
0: what are your hopes of the impact of the documentary has on the industry and just kind of has on the more broader Oregon community.
1: For sure. Um, well, I'm hoping that someone who is in my position, who is thinking about maybe going into a wine program or a viticulture program, has the opportunity to see this and be like, oh, there are people like me within the industry. I think that's a very big, important thing, and if I didn't have that resource and we can supply that for someone else, then I think that's a great thing. So.
0: And then can you talk about, you kind of talked about this a little bit whenever you were um, looking for resources while um, at college, but um, what is it like being a minority in the industry in general?
1: Yeah, um, I've had a fairly pleasant experience. I would say that here in the Willamette Valley, I haven't had very many negative experiences being a person of color in the industry. For me, it's just being comfortable within the industry and feeling like I have a seat at the table. And I think the more people of color we have within the industry, the more people will feel comfortable about that. And so for me, that's kind of what I'm striving for.
0: Do you see more people of color coming into the industry, becoming more interested in it? Um, are you, so are people just not finding the resources like you did initially to get into the industry, or is there just not the awareness that they can join the industry? Like what is the problem for that disparity between races?
1: Yeah, you know, I. I don't know, it could be a historical cultural thing like for me growing up in Kentucky I had no idea that I even liked wine you know so it took me moving to this area and like experiencing that to know that it's something that I'm into and so I think maybe that could be an aspect of maybe why there's less people of color within the industry so it's just exposure of the industry and then um, making sure that the industry is welcoming to those changes and those people.
0: And then where do you see yourself in the future? What is the future for Jared?
1: The future for Jared? Um, still making wine, you know. I, um, I'm i loving it here at Rocco. I see myself here for a little while. I still have a lot to learn from Rollin. Um, possibly having my own label one day. Um, a few years ago, before we started the documentary, that was like my number one thing. I want my own label. I want my own label. Now, I really could be happy making wine for other people I just want to get to I guess be noted for making the wine and make a great product that I can stand behind Um, but now I'm leaning towards like it doesn't necessarily have to be my own label you know I can represent the label for someone else as long as I'm getting accredited for the work that I'm doing and I'm making a great product so yeah
0: do you think you're going to stick with Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and Pinot Gris and Sparkling Wine or do you think you're going to experiment a little bit more, what kind of, what is kind of your...
1: Um, Pinot for sure, Sparkling Wine for sure. Um, I'm a big Riesling fan, um, I would love to to start working on a Riesling program someday soon and um, yeah.
0: And then what do you see as the future for the Oregon wine industry, like what's just broadly or what is the future for it
1: broadly well since i've been involved in the industry it keeps growing by leaps and bounds you know every year there's more uh, acreage planted there's new um, tasting rooms opening up so it seems like it's headed in an upward trajectory um, things are looking good i feel pretty good about it yeah. Yeah.
0: is there any challenges that you're worried about in the future um being a fairly young person in the industry you have a good amount of years in here is there any thing in the next 10, 20, 30 years that you're worried about?
1: Um, climate change is something that's always in the back of my mind, you know, it's, as California keeps drying out and things keep coming north, eventually that could happen here, you know, so it's, I don't know, maybe we'll be grafting over our Pinot to grow Merlot and Cab here in the Low Valley, um, which I don't know if that's something that I'm too excited about, but yeah. <laughs> you might just have to roll with it.
0: If that happens, we just keep moving up to Canada, making Pino. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. (laughs) And then, um, what advice would you have for someone, uh, specifically a minority, that is looking to join the industry? What would you suggest they do?
1: I would say, have the confidence in the beginning to know that you deserve to be there and you have a right to be there. And then everything you do from that point after, I think, will be stronger. And um, will also assist other people with coming up with you